you so, so much for listening to the first episode of the Immigration Revelation series. My name is Caro Solano, and I'm one of the producers of the show. You'll be hearing my voice, as well as the voice of internationally recognized immigration attorney Fiona McEntee throughout each episode. And finally, the most important voices that you'll hear are that of our guests. And our first one is so special to the show. Fiona's going to tell you why. You are the, you're the catalyst behind turning Immigration Revelation into a podcast. Wow. Yeah. What an honor. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, that makes me so happy. (laughs) I think you may know this, but I don't know. Everybody else will not know this. So originally for people who are listening, the backstory is that we wanted to turn this into a blog series and feature amazing immigrants that we feel really fortunate to interact with on a regular basis. And we We know that not everybody really gets that that opportunity every day and we do and we it's such a gift and we just want to share it so we wanted to to start a blog and then we had sent you a series of questions that you sent back to us and Mm -hmm. i mean reading your responses just really made myself and carolina realize that we need to do more than just have a blog that these are stories that need to be told in as wide of a platform as we can provide. And so thank you for inspiring us to turn this into this podcast and show and to (laughs) oh, we just couldn't be happier that you're here with us today. So thank you for being our inspiration. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm so happy to be here. And I didn't know any of all any of this. So that's Belencisa. This is all so sweet. <laughs> Belen has called the U.S. home since she was six years old, when she traveled with her parents from Argentina. She lived in Arizona undocumented until she was eligible to apply for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program known as DACA. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, I think, you know, what's worth mentioning is that I feel like the environment around us has shifted in a way that... Sometimes our stories are used not for good. They're used because the press wants something to talk about. They want this person on a pedestal that's like the perfect one, right? And that's what they talk about. And in reality, we're human beings. We're complex. We're so much more than just, you know, an undocumented student. Their parents brought them when they were young. And today, Belen is an amazing public figure who has been fighting for the rights of the undocumented. And as much as we think Belen is extraordinary and trust us, if you didn't already after this episode, you will too. She reminded us that stories like hers are far from unique. Exactly, or put in a box about what it is that our stories should be or who we should be as individuals. And we are just a big, complex, diverse community. And now more than ever, I feel like it's important to highlight those complexities. It's important to talk about the other stories that haven't had as much of a spotlight on them. I don't, I don't want people to feel bad for me because even though I've faced so much injustice and I know that so many people in our community have faced injustice, we also are deserving of joy and to be content with uh, certain aspects of our life and to feel all the feelings without constantly feeling bad about ourselves. Today, with a spotlight of her own, Belen uses her platform to advocate for those untold stories. But she also told us that that spotlight and the courage to be in it still feels pretty new. In the beginning, that's not how it was. I was not always this 
brave. I was not always this comfortable with being who I was. Um, I went to high school in Florence, Arizona, which is just a mile away from one of the largest immigrant detention centers in Arizona. So for me, it was driving by a place that, you know, I was undocumented in high school. I didn't even have DACA. It was the facing the reality that if anyone knew who I was, I could end up there. My family could end up there. In 2010 was when SB 1070 was passed, the show me your papers law. Yeah. Everyone was protesting nationally, boycotting Arizona. I went to Wrigley Field actually to protest because the Cubs were doing their spring training down in Arizona and it was a protest against them going down there because we just were so horrified. Mm -hmm. And it was a scary time. I mean, um, and it also, I would say, created this culture of misinformation and also racism. So SB 1070 gets argued before the Supreme Court and a 5-3 majority finds that, yeah, parts of this law are unconstitutional, except for one particular section that every justice ruled to uphold. That an Arizona state police officer could question somebody's immigration status during a stop if that officer had a reasonable suspicion that they were undocumented. Which begs the question. Like, what is an undocumented person supposed to look like? I I don't... (laughs) You know what I mean? And um, I certainly have gotten reactions where people are like, you're undocumented? My dad works in landscaping. He drives a truck with all of his equipment. And he, you know, is very tan from being in the sun all the time. He has an accent. And it was scary to think that just because of what the car he was driving or because if he were to be pulled over and be perceived as someone who was undocumented, that the police had the power to ask him if he was a U.S. citizen. The whole premise of those laws are racist because the whole idea is that if you look like an We know it's a podcast, so you can't see Fiona use the air quotes around look like. And as an Irish immigrant, now naturalized U.S. citizen, the one thing I am so passionate about speaking out about the Irish immigrant privilege and what that looks like. And this is exactly what this looks like. And they would not be subjected to the same type of, of racial profiling. Look, we know racial targeting didn't start in the 20th century. It's based in historical fact that organized police forces were used to target black and brown men and women who were deemed runaway slaves. And unfortunately, remnants of that past continue today in systemically institutionalized ways, including legislation like SB 1070. And as horrifying as that is, it's a fact one the U.S. has really never reckoned with. But the thing about facts, they don't change. Much like this one that Belen reminds us about. Black Lives Matter, first of all. Immigration is also a Black issue. And I hope that, you know, throughout your podcast and whoever comes on next, we continue to highlight that because in this moment in time, there's a very righteous uprising. Belen, we couldn't agree more. All 
Black Lives Matter. I have so much um, gratitude, I would say, to the movement that made DACA happen. Because DACA went into effect in 2012. And yeah, President Barack Obama is credited for signing the executive order that put this program into effect. But Belen reminded us what, or rather who, it took to make that happen. Because it did not just happen because President Obama woke up one day and was like, I feel really bad for these kids. Let's, you know, let's introduce an executive order to just make their life easier. That was not what happened. Before DACA was signed from the White House, it had been tossed back and forth in Congress for years. In 2001, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin and Utah Senator Orrin Hatch first introduced the bill as the DREAM Act, but it didn't pass. It was reintroduced in 2007, but a filibuster by Republicans in the Senate would prevent it from passing. It was reintroduced again in 2011, and nope, another filibuster by Republicans in the Senate. So fast forward, it's 2012, and surprise, Republicans and Democrats are still at odds. And dreamers have had enough. It was time for a little necessary good trouble. It was brave and courageous, undocumented youth who were getting arrested, who were going to their Congress people's office, who were calling out President Obama because he was a Democrat, right? And they pressured him so much that he made an executive action. We, undocumented young people who made the most powerful man in the world, <laughs> make an executive action. And that is really what got me involved in politics in the first place. Before DACA was announced, I didn't know anything about politics. I didn't know my power. I didn't know what I could accomplish if I just had the protection to, to speak up. Working in this field for, for about 15 years, um, I know people have been doing it a lot longer than I have, but I've you know, gone to Capitol Hill. We, I have sat there in offices with, with dreamers. I have been in round tables with Senator Durbin who tried to make this his life work. It never, the emotion of this never gets old for me. And it never, it is always so moving to see how much something like DACA, what it's done for you and what it's done for your colleagues and your peers and how much it opened the door and really what you're fighting for is just opportunity. Exactly. And that's the reason why I say I feel so grateful for those who came before me because they did it without that. Think about how much bravery and courage that takes to know that you could be deported for just telling your story or for just giving people the ability to identify who you are, right? That's the reason why I say I feel so much gratitude because I don't think that I would be the person that I am now. And I don't think I would have done any of the things that I did if it wasn't for their actions. The biggest uh, benefit that I got from DACA was, was empowerment. It was the ability to fight for more, to not just fight for myself, but to fight for the, for the bigger picture of what we want, which is to treat immigrants with dignity 
and respect and humanity. After seeing firsthand what the power of advocacy could do when it's used to hold those in power accountable, Belen was determined to use her platform to do just that. I couldn't stand on the sidelines anymore while other people were fighting for me and, and my family. But along with that platform also comes the spotlight. Do you remember the first time you were asked to do a national media interview? Uh, I do. It was, I mean, it was a whirlwind. To give a little bit of background to the people who are listening, obviously, the reason why I had been asked to be on national television is because I had made a viral post on Facebook <laughs> about undocumented immigrants paying taxes. And this was when uh, headlines in the campaign. Donald Trump, Trump had just taken office. So far, his refusal to make them public. It was, you know, 2017. We were all living in a limbo. The Muslim ban had just happened, and it was just a whirlwind of emotions, I think. And the reason why I made that post is because I was just so angry that this person and the people who followed him had this ability to tell lies people coming a month and a tell our stories for us about the types of people I'm that we were I'm gonna call it an invasion like it or not what we did and what our lives were like and I just had enough I was just like no so Belen decides to take a selfie holding her tax return and Look, don't feel bad if you didn't know this, but... That is something that we hear all the time. Well, undocumented immigrants don't pay taxes, and we know from working that is false. Actually, this is the reality. Undocumented immigrants pay taxes up to $12 billion a year. Money, by the way, that's going to programs people like Belen don't even get to use. How are you just going to erase a fact, right? How are you going to lie about us? So Belen uses her post to not only call out this hypocrisy, but to tag someone in particular. Making that post and calling him out because, you know, we're paying taxes. Everyone's asking me to post my tax returns, right? But no one's asking him, <laughs> who is the president. <laughs> now, we don't know when you're listening to this, but it's late September 2020. And after years, the public may now have Donald Trump's tax returns, thanks to The New York Times. But that's not what this podcast is about, we promise. I didn't mean for it to be viral. That was the first shock, right? I was just mad. I wanted to just put my thoughts down. And hopefully I thought it might reach some people. Well, it went viral. Yeah, it was shared tens of thousands of times. But posts that go viral like that, especially ones with a righteous message like Belen's, are also guaranteed to attract a particular group of people on the internet. What happened is because I got so much hate from the from right-wing activist groups, from supporters of Trump. They were attacking me publicly. They were also sending me messages, death threats. It got really bad. But what surprised me mostly was the positive, too. From the outside, a lot of people would say, you know, 
I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, this is horrible. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. While this experience did bring a new level of vulnerability that was scary. If you ask Belen, she'd change any of it? I wouldn't not do it again. I would do it all over again. Because there were people who said, you know, I don't agree with you on all of the things that you fight for, but I didn't know this. So thank you for, for making this uh, a talking point that the media is starting to pay attention to because the way that it blew up it forced Not everyone to talk about it they're providing okay but do you, the just 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 a quick just a quick stop and do you know do, just a quick stop you know those people are paying taxes right it was something they could no longer ignore some of them do pay some taxes no they sir. all pay taxes no 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 mr murphy they all pay taxes so now every single time that tax day rolls around there are stories about it. And I couldn't say that that was the way that it was before. I think it was an educational moment. It was a conversation starter that so many Americans didn't know that Uncle Sam doesn't care if you have a social security number. He just cares if you pay your taxes. And you can do that many ways. Yeah, and you know, in the immigration debate, there's obviously a lot of ways to, to discuss it. But what I really appreciated you said there is, having conversations with people who don't agree with you I feel like that is I really enjoy that and I don't like preaching to the choir where everyone always agrees with me I think you know you do have to have these tough conversations and you I firmly believe though a lot of us can get a bit closer we can get closer to where we are now if we're able to share some of these facts some of these statistics and some of these human stories as well exactly it's so inspirational blend that you essentially started a movement that is repeated every april 15th <laughs> i believe every tax day but i mean just kind of being i think like innovative and brave and getting out there on social media and putting your story out there has been so comforting to so many people if you look back in history all of the progress that we've ever made has been because ordinary people have taken it into their own hands and decided that they were going to be the ones who made it happen. And that's exactly what Belen set out to do. Because after this experience, she was determined not just to advocate, but to organize. And who better than to organize with and for than, well... Well, I worked for Senator Bernie Sanders during his first run in 2016. I actually started as a field organizer and did some Latino outreach. Um, and then I went back to college after his first campaign ended. And that was that. She never heard from him again. We're kidding. Kidding. Just wait. I went back to ASU, Arizona State University. I got my bachelor's degree. I worked during the uh, 2018 primary for Next Gen America, which was specifically targeting young people to get out to vote. And uh, following that is when I got the job <laughs> as Latino press secretary for Bernie. And it was so incredibly rewarding to think that an undocumented young 25-year-old like me could work for someone who could be the next president of the United States. Like, I was just in shock. And look what um, you've done and with it. I mean, <laughs> we first met in person in D.C. when we had coffee, and it wasn't so long ago, but you were working for 
Senator Bernie Sanders on his campaign, you got that opportunity, Carolina. And I were like wondering, did you call your mom for it? Like, you know, how did that? <laughs> yeah, like what happened when you? It was just so. I I don't even know how to explain it. I was just in awe of the fact that I would get an opportunity like that, especially thinking back to just a few years ago when you you wouldn't have seen an undocumented 25-year-old working for someone who could become the next president. That, I think, shows how far we've come and the power that our movement holds. We can influence elections without actually voting ourselves because we are you know, becoming the largest voting bloc. If we actually all went out to vote, we could decide every single election. That's not at all an exaggeration, I promise. There's 32 million Latinos and Hispanics in the U.S. And for the first time ever, those are going to be the largest groups to be eligible to vote in the upcoming 2020 election. Which is huge, (laughs) right? One vote is one vote. But if I can get hundreds and thousands of people to vote for me, like that is power, right? That is, (laughs) that is incredible and not being able to vote yourself I mean you are I think huge influence over the and not just the youth but people who care about you know humanity and about the dreamers and you know immigrants and I mean there's so many um platforms of the Sanders campaign that you know you worked on and so you know obviously you have stepped into this role of of being a voice for and I think it is hard to try to be a voice for a community that's so diverse and when there is no not necessarily a uniform voice exactly I feel like that's in a way been a little bit of a heavy burden to also have is to be that representation for people but in reality stepping into the role of national latino press secretary meant that Belen would become a representative for a group that as she said can't and won't be put in a box But it was during this time that Belen and her team put together the campaign's immigration platform, which would be the first time that a presidential platform committee not only included people like Belen, but were being led by people like her. First, Bernie's immigration platform was the most progressive, I would say, of all the candidates who were running as president. And the reason why is because there were DACA recipients and undocumented people in the room who took part in writing the policy. It was going to impact their lives, their communities, their families. And I think that is something that is so underrated. And really, we created the blueprint on how you should write policy by and for the people who are going to be impacted by the law. We thought of absolutely every aspect of of our lives. And we made sure that we were included in every single one of those aspects. And I don't think that that has been done before. (laughs) I I remember when um, Belen said this, I, it struck a nerve with me. So I, I let her know. You say that and it almost feels like I can't, like, I truly can't believe that isn't a part of the process that when you are drafting legislative advocacy, that you include people that, that, advocacy is going to be affecting it it seems like that should be almost like a written protocol and yeah it just I agree and I think you know from this point on we should make that the norm 
is your healthcare plan that progressive if it doesn't include undocumented immigrants because they live here? We revolutionize the way that we look at immigration, not just saying we need immigration reform, we need to stop deportations, but we need to start treating immigrants with humanity, to look at them as a whole, as people. And what does that mean? It means that you include them in your healthcare plan. It means that you include them in your education for all plan, that you include them when you're talking about protecting them at their job and having unions representing them and, you know, fighting for, for policies like in-state tuition. That is going to change the lives of hundreds and thousands of students. Getting a driver's license is going to change the lives of hundreds of DACA recipients who are the heads of households who need to not be pulled over and fined because they don't have a driver's license. And look, we know these are laws and policies and things, frankly, that need to be addressed in Congress. But Belen reminds us that it's more than that. I, I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up, right, in, you know, fighting for specific things that we forget about the ripple effect that it's going to have. We'll be right back. If you're looking to impeccably present and expand the reach of your business, look no further than DBC Brand. DBC is a woman-led, immigrant-run company. From social media to website design, DBC offers three different tiers of marketing plans to serve all your needs. So. Whether you're bootstrapped, or you're running a side hustle, or you're fully funded, DBC can help you. You can find out more by going to dbcbrand.com. Build your online presence today with DBC. Digital by Creatives. Thinking back to, you know, 18-year-old me, 17-year-old me, who graduated high school and felt like the world was ending because I couldn't get a job because I didn't have a social security number. I couldn't go to college because I just didn't have the financial aid or the funds or even the, the guidance, right? My parents never went to college. How are they supposed to help me to get into a school and then figure out what it is that I needed to do to be successful, right? They did the best that they could. How proud your parents must be of you, Belen. Seriously, I mean, <laughs> like I am so proud of you and I am not your mom. I think being a parent and, you know, just imagining what, how proud your parents must be of you is just, it's really moving for me to see. And I've been in on Capitol Hill, like I mentioned before, with DACA recipients advocating for themselves and for their peers. And again, not a dry eye in the house of that room in Congresswoman Kelly's office. And just thinking if only their parents could be here to see what they're doing. And so what did your mom and dad say when you said that you were moving to DC to work for, <laughs> for the Sanders campaign? They were so excited. My mom is a huge Bernie supporter. Yeah. So they were so, so happy for me. So excited that, you know, I would be able to have a position like this and to be here eight years later, right. Is just like, 
wow, <laughs> like what would 18 year old me say, right? Like she thought she wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. And here I am. I just, I think back at how far I've come and how far we've all come, right? To what we fight for and what we demand. And it's to, to this day still so inspiring. And, and to think that there were people who came before me, like Erica Ndiola. She was the Latino press secretary in 2016. And she led the way for me to become the youngest undocumented person to be a press secretary. You talk about the people who came before you, but I hope you're aware of how many people are going to come after you based on the inspiration <laughs> that you are showing them right now. I really hope so. I really do. I mean, the reason why I do what I do and I got involved is so that other people who are in my situation don't have to go through the, the same things that, that I went through, that um, hopelessness, that feeling of being alone, that really is how we feel. I mean, I don't want to talk for everyone, but when you are isolated from the people who are like you, the people who represent what you are and what you could be, it, it's hard to, to see what could be possible for you. I hope that we continue forward, right? We have so many aspirational leaders like AOC, for example, who is the youngest woman elected to Congress. And she has done more than half the got white guys. Say that again. <laughs> say, yes. You could say that one more time if you could. I don't think we caught that. <laughs> I would love to hear what someone like you, a representative of what youth activism can do and what advocacy can amount to. What are your thoughts on the importance of this election? And, and what do you have to say about the people that are choosing to ignore the facts and erase the facts that this election is going to hold lives like yours on the line? Well, I feel like everyone has already been saying this, but it is probably the most important election <laughs> of our lifetime. We've been put in a tough place, to be honest with you, but who can we push to do what we need them to do, <laughs> right? That is politics. It's more important now than ever for us to vote and at least get someone into office that we can give our demands to and pressure every single day. It's going to be up to us to build the social movements. And that means fighting for healthcare, fighting for the Green New Deal, which if we don't have a planet, how are we going to fight for all of the other social justice issues? We have to put in the action to make all of these policies that we're in dire need of. So now more than ever, vote, but also continue to be engaged, especially young people. Join an organization that is local in your neighborhood. Join a national organization, but whatever you do, don't stop at just voting. We'll be voting for you someday, Helen. <laughs> like, we need more AOCs and we need more movements to help more AOCs get into office. <laughs> AOC is exactly 
the country I want to see. You are the country <laughs> I want to see. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I just have a renewed sense of motivation and inspiration. I really cannot thank you enough for coming on to chat to us today and for sharing all your really deep personal experiences and thoughts with us. Thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you so much to Belen Sisa for joining us as our guest, for inspiring the show, and for all of her incredible advocacy. Belen, tu lucha es nuestra lucha. We are so grateful you took time out of your day to tune into Immigration Revelation. If you enjoyed the show, we would love you to subscribe, rate, and share it. The song you heard during our intro was written and produced by two amazingly talented immigrants, Alva Fitzpatrick and Ignacia Zass, and it was recorded and mixed at South Music and Sounds Studio in Santa Monica, California. Huge thanks to our entire team at McEntee Law Group and especially Alex George for fact-checking this episode. Thanks to our family and our friends for all their support. And huge thanks to Ryan Arnold and his team for PR and media outreach. And to all the immigrants, immigration lawyers and advocacy groups working towards a more welcoming America. We see you and we thank you. Thank you.